You've landed on the Lonely Diplomat podcast, and wherever you are in the world, from Dakar, Damascus, Dhaka, Dili, Djibouti, Doha, Dublin, and Dushanbe, and all places in between, welcome. I'm Phil McAuliffe, and I'm the Lonely Diplomat. I help reconnect diplomats and those living the diplomatic life to themselves and the world around them. And I do this through my work on my website, thelonelydiplomat.com. And on that website, you will find a blog, this podcast, and The Lounge, which is a place for diplomats and those living the diplomatic life to come and get support and be supported as we live this diplomatic life. I also have an extensive social media presence on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. If you're a diplomat or live the diplomatic life, you know that there are highs and there are lows. We share and tend to celebrate the highs, but for many reasons, we can feel that we must endure the lows alone. You're not alone. I'm here. I'm creating a space to talk about all aspects of this diplomatic life, the highs and the lows. But I need your financial support to help me expand my work. If you'd like to make a financial contribution, please go to thelonelydiplomat.com forward slash support to learn some more. And know that I really do appreciate your financial help and support. In this episode of the Lonely Diplomat podcast, I chat with Angela Pickett about her decision to leave diplomacy and change careers five years ago. Angela wrote an amazing blog post on leaving diplomacy, which I published on my website in early July 2019. There's a link to that article in the description of this episode. Angela's work really resonated with so many readers around the world because sooner or later, we all find ourselves at a point where we must decide if we stay or go from the job that we're doing, diplomats included. It can be a terrifying and an isolating time, and we need to weigh our decisions against our own circumstances, responsibilities, and commitments. There's no one-size-fits-all approach, and whatever we do, whatever action we end up taking, staying or going, it needs to align with what is true for you and those most important to you. This is a topic that Angela and I discuss in this chat, so enough from me from now, and let's go straight to this excellent chat with Angela. So listeners, it's my absolute pleasure to welcome to this episode Angela Pickett, um, who wrote the fantastic blog post on leaving diplomacy. And I'm really keen to have a chat with her about some of the decision points that led to where she is now and what she's learned from them. So Angela, it is an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Phil. It's an absolute pleasure to chat to you. It is. I have to confess, uh, you know, to the listeners that Angela and I have had probably like a 40 minute catch up now um, before pressing record. Uh, so we've, we've solved the problems of the world, but uh, we're, we're now going to have a chat uh, about your really fantastic blog post that's really resonated with so many people. How did that feel to, to get that out? It felt really good, and I guess it was 
you know, it's interesting timing because it was five years on, which sort of seems like one of those good milestone points. Um, I left diplomacy just as I was turning 40. I've just turned 45. So it was a really nice opportunity to go back and reflect um, in a really positive way as well. But I guess it also, you know, while I made some decisions really, I guess, on a personal basis, it was also there wasn't a lot around. When I started looking at leaving diplomacy, there weren't a lot of people. I don't remember being able to, I found, found things about changing careers, but I don't remember finding anything about diplomats changing careers. Um, probably has a bit to do with how diplomats are told not to use social media. And certainly <laughs> five years ago, diplomats using social media was still a very new thing. We were, we were, you know, I was working in an embassy that was only the second to have Facebook. So, and that was only, you know, a year or two years before that. So the fact that there was nothing else out there. So it really, it really makes me so happy to realize that there are others out there and not just in, you know, obviously around the world, but are struggling with the same challenge because I think traditionally it has been one of those careers for life and yet we live in a world where the career for life is is a pretty rare sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was really, and it was fun to write. It was fun to look back and, and really, you know, almost sort of quiz myself and, and challenge myself on what some of um, the reasonings behind, you know, changing changing were and, and feeling comfortable. And I guess I guess for the other thing was having just started another new career to sort of really reflect back on the, the journey of the five years between leaving the career and, and settling into something that I think um, will be what I do for a little while now. Yeah, I think that's something that I'm really keen to explore in our chat now and kind of going with the theme of crossroads and exploring some of the the crossroads at which you arrived prior to making decisions. And the aim of, of talking about these crossroads is helping those people who are listening, who might, you know, with, with pens or pencils poised, you know, ready to take notes uh, about, you know, what, <laughs> what, what decision they should make. Um, and I, I emphasized should make there um, because we we fear making the wrong decision. And so often when we get to these crossroads in life and, and you know, listener Andrew and I, are, uh, we can see each other and I'm making an X with my hand. You can't see that, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing that now. But we, we arrive at these crossroads, X, you know, making X with my hands, and we can be racked with indecision and feelings about um, what we should be doing, what people expect of us. And we can simply sit there for such a long time and agonize over whether we should leave, whether we should do something else, whether, you know, we stay and, and, you know, double down our efforts. And part of that, whatever, whatever decision is made is not right nor wrong. It's simply a decision. And we'll get to something that I wanted to talk about in, 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 in a little while, but I'm really keen to ask you, Angela, just taking you back into your blog post, one of the, the crossroads was the talk with your supervisor during your last posting. 
And you said something along the lines of, I'm still doing the same things that I did 10 years before in my first posting. And then he replied saying, well, I'm still doing the same, the same thing that I did in my first posting 30 years ago. And that seemed to me to be quite a, 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 an important moment for you. What, what was going on then? Um, I guess at the point, you know, I had, I mean, I was really enjoying what I was doing and I was certainly doing it with um, a bit more autonomy than I perhaps had on my first posting. So there definitely were some differences. Um, but I think it was also my first posting, I was single, my, sec my second posting, my next posting, I was married. I had, I went on a posting with a three and a half month old and a two year old, which, mm -hmm. you know, I look back now and sort of wonder how we did that. <laughs> And I was missing out on things. And I, you know, I always joke to people, I was never going to be the stay at home, do craft mum, but I, was, I would miss out on concerts or I would miss out on, you know, activities that they were doing at school or being having to say no to going on, you know, an excursion or an activity. And obviously we were overseas and there were lots of fun things happening. And I thought, if I'm not growing and learning and picking up new skills at work and I'm missing out on all of this family time, I, you know, I, that was where I was starting to question whether did I still want to be doing like what was I what was I getting out of it? Um, and obviously, you know, part of the job was serving Australia and and you know and contributing, and that was great and that's fulfilling. But at the same time, it did make me wonder, and I started to think if that's what I was that would that be enough? I guess is mm. part of it as well. You know, would, was and was there something else out there? And I think it's very hard in an organisation like diplomatic services where it still is considered a job for life to consider that there might be something else out there and weighing up the opportunity cost, I guess, of tr trying to see what else was out there. You know, the idea that, you know, you could, I mean, I still, you know, you could leave and always come back, but that was that wasn't necessarily that was a bit frowned upon, I think. <laughs> In what way? Why? Why so? I don't know. I think I think a lot of the time. So I mean, I go back to and you know, I guess for the listeners, Phil and I, you know, our, part, one of the first things I noted when we were just having a catch up was from the time I joined the diplomatic service as a twenty-four year old, I was told that you know I was to be very grateful that I was one of thirty of. 2000 people that had applied and I should be grateful. And I had been given a huge privilege to, to have this job. Mm. And I think I was young and impressionable and it was my first, you know, proper job out of university. Yeah. And, and you believe that. And I really was, and I am very grateful for the, for the, for the experience and the, and both, both professionally and personally. Um, but it does, leave you with a sense of I guess a sense of obligation is perhaps the other thing um you know I've got this great experience I need to repay it somehow um and so the idea of leaving was probably yeah it was a bit of a foreign and I think a lot of it is the people I knew in that time that had left the diplomatic service generally left to you know be politicians or work for political you know as political staffers or go into work in think tanks or universities they went on to something bigger mm. and the idea of doing something that perhaps came with less status or financial reward wasn't, you know, 
wasn't really talked about, wasn't really, um, wasn't probably even on my radar. So, um, and yet I was weighing that up against, do I do another 20 years of, of this? Because mm. is, it an, is it enough? Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to that crossroads, you know, metaphor, analogy, the crossroads thing, you, you sat at that point and, you know, looked straight ahead at, at, as you just said, you know, 20 years of potentially more of the same and, and thinking about what you're missing out on and looking at a, a, an option which may or may not have appealed, but, you know, going into, you know, public life, but still something that, you know, you could really leverage your skills and experienced uh, experience that you, you got from diplomacy into something better or, and this is something that I'm really keen to explore, actually doing something that fulfilled you and taking a an option that other people may or may not have sort of raised their eyebrows uh, and gone, oh, oh, right, you know, that's, that's interesting. Um, you know, I wouldn't have... <laughs> wouldn't have picked that or, you know, potentially, well, that was a bit of a waste of the last 10, 15 years of, you know, something. But you did leave diplomacy. You did leave, uh, you know, you didn't go into a think tank. You didn't go into academia. You didn't go into politics. You went into something that was important to you. How did you prepare We'll, we'll get into, you know, what you did, but I want to know at this point, what did you do to prepare? Look, and this is where, so I spent a lot of time, and you know, and to be really honest, I probably spent a lot of that three and a half years in Hanoi really questioning and querying. And, you know, had I been, had I still been single and not had children, it might have been some different questions. But the reality was, and I think it happens for a lot of people on that, you know, second or third posting, their family is different. And so your questions are probably different. Mm. So had I, you know, had I not had a family to consider, um, maybe I would have been looking at things differently. But the reality was that was where I stood at that time, um, coming up to my late 40s, as late 30s, um, getting close to 15 years in the same job and started to look at whether I was doing the right thing for my skill set and what I wanted to do. And I think probably a couple of things were important and probably gave me the confidence so to, to make a big change. So about halfway through, probably a third of the way into that posting in, in Hanoi, I happened to comment to a colleague and this was when we were going back to launch the Facebook page. So as I said, we were the second embassy in the Australian system to be allowed to start. So this is 2012 mm. and he was going on leave. And I said, I can't believe you're going on leave. This is, this is really exciting. We're doing something really new. You know, we're only the second embassy to be allowed to, to do it. Uh, you're going, he said, I'm, I'm not really interested in it. And I said, well, we should do a job swap. And I did it. It was a very flippant comment, but he obviously thought about it while he was away. We came back. And from that, I got to hand over the economic reporting, which I really didn't enjoy. I wasn't very good at. 
And I was happy at that point to admit <laughs> that I wasn't very good at it. Uh, and I took all of the cultural affairs and media relations. And so I had this fabulous job of trade and market access and helping Australian businesses. But then I also got to run media for, for ministerial visits and manage uh, what was then starting up to be a big program of events for the 40th anniversary of, of diplomatic relations with Vietnam. So I had the perfect job. So, but it also taught me that if you put your hand up and you ask for stuff and you say you might like to give something a go, that sometimes <laughs> it actually comes off. And I got to find a whole new skill set in the cultural event management that I was actually really good at. Mm. I got to manage a budget of a fairly significant budget of sponsorship and grants that's pretty rare at that level in the diplomatic service, certainly in Australia, and certainly for a small, for a medium-sized post. So I got yeah. to learn all these new things and I found some things that I was also quite good at. So that probably, to start to to segue into what I ended up doing and how I ended up making the decision was was where I did start to think that there were other things out there in the big wide world. So you, you used, you, you I guess, paid attention to both what you were interested in, what, you, what was challenging you um, and you wanted to learn more about, right, to... And, and and tuned in to that kind of mental and emotional response that was that was happening in you to then go, oh, that's actually curious. You know, maybe, you know, something in, you know, the, the like digital space for, for want of a better term was something that, you know, could have that that floated your boat more than um than say, you know, economic reporting um on, you know, bilateral issues between, you know, Australia and, and, you know, in that case, Vietnam, but whatever yeah. country. And, and, and I guess that's a really important point is that paying attention to what piques your interest. So after paying attention and you, you were interested, I guess, in, in new ways of engagement for a, a kind of putting it a, a, an umbrella over it, what, what then happened? So the last, so I, I spent, and it was, you know, and if I had a fabulous 12 months where we were running this program. We bought, you know, amazing performers across to Vietnam. We put on huge shows. We did, there was just lots of things. And I was, I was running essentially a project, which was something that I worked out. I, you know, I really like starts and finishes and I like budgets and I like plans and I like organisation, which, and I like getting, I like seeing results, which sometimes in diplomacy you don't often see. Yeah. I always enjoyed ministerial visits because I liked the beginning and the end. I liked seeing that we delivered on what we were doing, whereas a lot of the things, you know, I'm sure there's some market access issues I was working on in China, you know, 17 years ago that are probably still out there. Um but one of the yep. things I did was I decided that I, and I had been doing lots of training and coaching and things uh, while I was in Vietnam and, and looking at what my options were and what I might, and not necessarily to leave the diplomatic service, but to make sure I was 
I guess, as challenged and I was working in the way that I wanted to work. But I decided in the end that I would do a master's in arts and entertainment management. And yep. I called it my parachute. And so my theory was it was better to spend whatever the amount was on one subject of a university master's and see what I thought. And then if I decided that that was where I wanted to go, then I could leave. And, you know, I went back to study. I did a, I did a semester. I did one subject. Uh, I was having uh, absolutely enjoyed it, did really well at it and went, okay, well, maybe this is what I'm going to, I'm going to go into arts and event management. And at the same time, I guess there were opportunities to, to take a redundancy. We'd always planned to take some time off because my husband had worked in the wine industry. And so we were going to move to South Australia. I would run event, I would work for the fest, all the festivals that are run in South Australia and, you know, it will be fantastic. So um, I guess that's how we, that sort of ended my, you know, that was where I went, well, I'm, I'm going to do it. And I think I felt while there was still that nervousness of leaving, I think the fact that I could say to people, I'm doing this master's degree that relates to the work that I've been doing. I'm building on what I've been doing and I'm going into a space that still was familiar to a lot of people in the organisation. Mm. I felt a little less like I was, was jumping ship. But at the same time, I also left, I guess, to be really honest, I left at a time lots of people were leaving as well. So it wasn't such... It, you know, in some ways it wasn't, it wasn't so brave that I was like striking out on my own and I was the only one doing it. I was leaving at a time of organisational restructure, which meant that there were lots of people at my level being given the opportunity to, to leave. And I jumped and I took, and it was scary and it was messy and yeah. hasn't exactly, you know, you know, spoiler alert, but I'm not running festivals in Adelaide. Um <laughs> But, you know, it was my parachute. It gave me enough. It gave me something to focus on. I wasn't just leaving, you know, a 15-year career to sit at home and work out what next. I was studying a full-time and a master's and I was doing and I was doing something. And I guess there was that feeling of there was forward momentum. I was still moving forward. I, yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't quitting and then going, what next? Even though in reality... I actually didn't know mm. what was next. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Unlike a lot of people who make career changes, I didn't have this burning sense of purpose about something. I didn't have a hobby that I wanted to turn. And so when you read a lot of things, you know, for, particularly for listeners who have been looking at their options, it's really hard to find good stuff about career change because a lot of it talks about, you know, some amazing you know idea that you've got or a hobby that you can turn into something and in reality i don't think it often i tell you that. if 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 somebody you know we, we were talking before about you know social media presence and you know listeners of the lonely diplomat podcast you know probably have seen me in action on 
LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, and Instagram, and try, or not try, like I work really hard to provide, you know, common sense hints and, and tips for people to, you know, help pay attention to their words, thoughts, and feelings, um, and, uh, and, and things. But when it comes to change like that, Ange, it really does, it drives me crazy when you, f- like the Instagram philosophy of just follow your bliss. Um, that's awesome. That's awesome if you're at that point in life when you've got very little responsibilities or minimal responsibilities or your responsibilities are simply to yourself. If your responsibilities include putting food on the table, having a roof over your head for not just your head, but your family's head, that follow your bliss is really not that helpful is helpful to a point, paying attention to what interests you, but there are all sorts of other practical considerations that come into play when you are on that, you know, that precipice um, of knowing when you're about like, do I leap or do I, you know, go back to the, to the fortnightly paycheck, to the, you know, to the terms and conditions, which are really good, you know, to, you know, the, the retirement benefits um, of being a public servant, which in Australia are really good. And that, you know, is a lot to, to, to give up, to follow you, please. But, and, and the other thing I'd say to that, and particularly if there are people listening going, but I don't even know what my bliss is, because I think, if you've been a diplomat and you've been on posting and you've been working at the pace and even if you're back at head yeah. office, you forgot a lot of the time, and I shouldn't generalise, but a lot of the time you've forgotten what your bliss actually is and it's really, really hard to make space yeah. in your life to actually sit down and remember what it is that really does you know, it is your bliss. But at the same time, I'm also a big believer in, you know, hobbies are there for hobbies and they should leave them because the idea that, you know, this do something you love and you'll never work a day in your life, I think is actually not really true. Um, do something you really enjoy. <laughs> Find something that, you know, is 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 interesting and fascinating and, and, and you want to continue with. But I think that's where I spend a lot of time really having a lot of self-doubt and really struggling with making the decision to leave because I didn't know what my bliss was. I didn't have a burning passion to do something else. I didn't have Mm. a natural talent that I was going to go. And so that in itself, when you're also dealing with someone, you know, this, this sense that you're giving up a really great career but you don't know what you want to do next, is, is, is really, you know, it, it, it knocks your self-confidence and especially when people are quizzing you as to why you're leaving. But you haven't, you know, and that's where I think doing some study for me worked really well. I probably didn't need to pay for the full master's. Um, in hindsight, I haven't really used it. <laughs> but it was still valuable and it's still, you know, and studying and doing well and, and it gave me some time and it did give me some space particularly to, you know, in reality set up, and this is what I guess for many diplomats on posting would be dealing with, 
moving back to your home country, re-establishing your life, setting up just the day-to-day running of a house, I at least, you know, I had some time and some space and to recover from a fairly intense three and a half year, you know, posting. So mm, I think, you know, to anything, to, to listeners, I'd say the big thing is don't, don't be concerned if you don't know what it is that you want to do. I looked, mm. I tried to look at more at how I wanted to work, what I wanted work to look like, what I wanted my, my life to look like rather than the actual what it is. And as, as, it, as it turns out, what it is I wouldn't have come up with. So, um, and I did some career, you know, I did some career coaching when I first got back to Australia. I was very lucky to have a friend who was starting out as a coach and I was her, her guinea pig. And so I've got a fabulous mind map that I should dig out of all the things that I wrote <laughs> down on it that I could possibly do. And, you know, some of them I dismissed because I think after years of being a diplomat, Matt and a public servant we're not risk takers we're not necessarily no. entrepreneurial we don't you know you've got to there's rules and we we're very prudent I guess we're very we're really yeah. very risk averse in the public service and so I yep. I ruled out a lot of things and as it happened I ended up falling into a career that was um while it was a risk in some respects to start my own business I was essentially doing what I'd been doing as a public servant. So, and that started its whole next train of another crossroads, I guess. Yeah. And, and before we get to that crossroads, there's something that I just wanted to, to add um, and, and go back just a little bit in, in the conversation, which was about, you know, after years of working onshore and, you know, in, in Australia and, and overseas, um, you know, at, you know, really a, a cracking, intense pace and, you know, essentially living and breathing the job because the job, like many occupations, demands the living and breathing of it. And again, going right back into the conversation, you know, the the, the sheer privilege of, you know, being employed there means that, you know, you, you kind of keep on having feel like you have to go above and beyond to show the gratitude. This is a really important point and is a cornerstone for a lot of my work because it goes to connection. And connection for, you know, particularly astute readers and listeners is one of my uh, one of my five core like central themes uh, in my work because connection involves connection to self. And when we get Sorry, connection to self, connection to others, and connection to where we are. Now, in relation to connection to self, when we have spent so much of our lives giving and giving and giving and doing and doing and doing what we feel is demanded of us and what we demand of ourselves as, you know, high-achieving people-pleasers... <laughs> Because, you know, that's that's how you get the promotions, that's how you get the postings, that's how you get the opportunities, is by pleasing others and showing how awesome you are to, to, to everyone. But it's re- like the path, kind of going back to crossroads, the path to disconnection with self lies down that, like, like well, the path to disconnection goes down that path. 
when you are doing things for others, you are doing things because other people expect you to do them. You're doing things because you're wanting to please other people and show how committed you are. Over time, and again, listener, I'm I'm really sorry, but you know, I'm I'm my my hands are sort of in this, you know, this V and and ever ever increasing distance between the self and what we are doing, and sooner or later, uh, and we're going to explore this in another podcast. Um, you know, sooner or later, we have a reckoning. And that reckoning can be called lots of different things, could be called a midlife crisis, could be called a mid-career crisis or, or whatever. But sooner or later, we, we realize that the gap between what we're doing and who we are is a yawning chasm. And indeed, we may have actually lost sight of who we are. We don't actually know what interests us because we have lost ourselves in our career and in the life that our that we feel that our career demands of us that is actually terrifying for me it was terrifying and and, and you're nodding there but it is one of those things that you, you you suddenly have this realization of like pardon me but shit that's like I, I I don't even know who I am anymore and and that was was it for me. So that that sort of follow your bliss, you know the the um, the, the you know pay attention to your hobbies and and you know that that whole train of thought that uh, that we were just talking about before, that's really confronting when you are your job and your job is you. Let's not forget how, like ever forget how daunting that can be when you feel like you've suddenly woken up uh, out of a very long slumber and and there's people going just follow you please, um, and 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 you know f- you know pay attention to the hobbies and things like that you know it's hard it's really hard but it is that paying attention which is critical and carving out that that time to consider what it is that interests you and and essentially paying attention in the moment to the things that 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 you know interest you and and getting curious about why the other thing that i wanted to ask you before we get on to the to the last crossroads you did your masters and and you know you were you know kind of segueing into you know post diplomatic life going into events management and and you know being involved having a finger in each of the festivals uh that were happening in in south australia which for listeners outside of south australia um uh, sorry outside of australia south australia has a lot of festivals and uh, and if that had turned out i'm sure you would have been really busy <laughs> Ange, but the <laughs> um the i guess a, and, and a question without notice one of the things that that occurred to me was on reflection now, five years post leaving diplomacy, was that a safe decision? Was that a decision of like, well, you know, if I say that I'm going to go into, you know, events, arts and events management, using, you know, what I've done in 
during my posting um, and in organizing visits and social and, and cultural exchanges, is that acceptable? to others is that you know going to be it's like yeah i could see that that's that's a good decision that she's made was there an element of that oh without a doubt without a doubt i mean i'm still a reformed well i'm not even sure i'm a reformed people pleaser um you know i am a people pleaser (laughs) by nature it's probably why i did last (laughs) as long as i did in dfat i just didn't you know perhaps please enough people it was still safe because as you were, you commented before, I at that stage had a husband who hadn't worked um, and had left a job um, that he wasn't coming back to, but also because we decided to leave Canberra and not go back. So not only were we, not only was I leaving the organisation that I'd worked for, but I was leaving the state to move to a state where we knew half a dozen people at best. We'd never lived here. Yep. We didn't have family here. I had a five-year-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old. And I look back now and, again, it was, to me, a, a sensible decision. Safe's probably yep. part of it. But, again, there is still that part of me that, and by my nature and by, you know, 15 years of a career, not a risk-taker. And I know a lot of people right. would say to me, and I still find, oh, you're so brave. You know, you've taken such a... <laughs> I'm like, I am the scared... You know, I'm a scaredy cat. I didn't think that was... I just at that... And I think it was once I had taken the voluntary redundancy, once it came through, once I'd said we were leaving, it was a little bit out of my control. And so continuing on with the masters that I said I was doing with a network that I had built up while I had been doing the cultural stuff, I felt like it was, you know, I wasn't leaving because there was part of me that was very much that I can't waste the last 15 years. But I think part of it also was I didn't realise when I left the diplomatic service just how many skills I had that are so valuable Mm. across the board. And it's taken so true. five years to realise that actually I've got so many skills that are transferable in so many ways outside of the diplomatic service and outside of public service and government. But again, I think we're sort of brainwashed to believe we're doing something so specialised that we can only do it there. And yeah, so I, it, yeah, it was a completely safe decision. Yeah. And also because, as you said, I I still had responsibilities. So I still was doing something that for me I felt, you know, I wasn't Mm, going to go mm, and mm. spend five or ten years to retrain as a doctor or something like that. I was doing something that I could see that probably within 12 months I could be back to, you know, working full-time and and doing whatever. Obviously, we got to the Barossa. I realised I didn't want to drive to Adelaide every day, even though it's only an hour away. (laughs) And, you know started to look at and really, again, fell into some other opportunities. So, I think, and, and that, that gets us to the, the sort of the last crossroads that, that I want to explore. And, you know, you, you did move to South Australia, to the, to the beautiful Barossa Valley. 
And, uh, you know, just as a side note um, to listeners outside of Australia, go and look the Barossa Valley up on Wikipedia. Um, It's just, you know, this amazingly gorgeous part of a really great country, let's face it. But what what you did was set up a um, a consulting, uh, uh, like you, you set up a consulting business and, you know, gave that a crack for a few years and, but it didn't work out for you know a whole whole variety of reasons what i'm keen to explore is how we generally and picking up the point that you made earlier Ange, about having like being public servants being civil servants being government workers and we we always want to do the right thing we always want to be safe because if we don't do it well we're wasting public money and you know there are potentially political ramifications so it's just far easier to be safe and over a while after you know years and years and years we are conditioned to you know take the safe option but in life even within the public service there is no real safe option there is you know as try as we might and mitigate the risks and all that kind of stuff we cannot control what's happening and I really think and feel that many people get to stand at the precipice and go, but what if I fail? All right. Speaking personally right now, I, I completely resonate with that, but I find it scarier to consider the question, what if I succeed? That is sometimes like I, I I just kind of have to put that thought down very gently, <laughs> like and 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 move on with my day because that terrifies me more than what if I fail. But we fear that that we well we're terrified of failure. We are terrified of getting it wrong because of we're highly driven people. Where you know we want to do good in the world. We want to you know and we've got you know in in depending on people's individual circumstances. There's commitments, there's financial commitments, there's there's familial commitments, there's a whole range of commitments that you kind of want things to succeed. What did you learn about yourself when you, when your first business venture didn't work out as you'd intended? What did you learn about yourself? I think I learned that I was a lot more resilient than I actually thought I was. And I guess... I mean, just to give some background, what I when I I fell into consulting, I had people that I was meeting, you know, and this is a small area, so you know, it's about twenty thousand people. It's a big, you know, it's a couple of big country towns joined together, and I was very lucky to make some connections very early on. And people would say to me, "Oh, you've got some really useful experience. You know, the wine wine is the biggest export here. It's very important." you've got all this trade negotiation experience and I think in some ways there was a bit of flattery and I felt important and I felt needed um, that I could be of value and so I decided to set up a trade consultancy and I would help businesses out with navigating free trade agreements. I didn't have a lot of and I didn't want to spend a lot of money on it. So my attitude was, I'll take two yep. years. And so I kind of gave myself a little bit of an out because I said, I'll give myself two years and we'll see how it works. 
I could spend two years doing market research and testing it, but instead I'm actually just going to put it to the test in real life and see. Yep. And it seems weird now even thinking about it because that to me now is such a natural way to test and change, fail fast. You know, my mindset has shifted a long way in five years and I think it was a being around, you know, finding those friends who were entrepreneurs, listening to podcasts, um, going to coaching and going to different networking events. But when I realised two years on that it wasn't really working and having to send some emails to people who I had been doing work with. And I should say that in between, I'd also taken on a part-time job with a winery because it wasn't, as a consultancy, it wasn't making lots of money anyway. And so I had to take on and I was enjoying that. And so I, at least I had a buffer to fall back into. So for me, there wasn't a financial element to winding up the business. And it wasn't, you know, as a sole trader. So I didn't have lots of company structure to worry about. I didn't employ anyone. Um, you know, there weren't, it was a pretty, it was a pretty simple sort of thing of saying, I've decided, you know, closing my website and deciding I'm not doing it. But I remember sitting and sending the email to a few people that I really respected and telling them that I had decided that I wasn't going to do it. And it wasn't working the way I had wanted it to work. And that it was pretty tough, but it was yeah. so really valuable because one of the reasons it wasn't working was I realised I was getting back into some of the same habits that I had been in and some of the things that I had found working in the public service the most frustrating um, and having to play nice with everyone and having to put aside my own personal beliefs and having to work with people who I didn't respect Mm. and I'd fallen and I was just doing some things and I thought I can't, you know, and and it was a moment of I left the public service because there are certain things that I don't and in certain ways I didn't want to work but certain environments I didn't want to work in and I'm just back in that all over again. And so that was, you know, it was... And I wrote a blog post about it and I, you know, I was really upbeat and I still am. I still think it was, you know, if I hadn't done that, you know, the connections I made in those two years, it's almost been harder starting my new venture because it's almost more people thinking, oh, here she goes again. What sort of harebrained scheme has <laughs> she come up with this time? She failed at the last thing she did. So it's been interesting that I've had more doubts starting something new because of that last thing than I had finishing the last thing. You know, it's, it's interesting how it's still, but, but I, but that's that, you know, that's that bit of your brain that talks to you like that. If I'm really, really, if I'm really uh, honest with myself and I look at the positives and I look at what I created and the networks I created and what I learned about myself and working for myself and valuing my experience and my time and charging for my time has been, you know, and that's stuff that I wouldn't have learned, I couldn't have learned in studying 
I couldn't have learned in my previous life. Yeah. I had to, it was, it was part of the process. So, you know, that's where I said in the, in the post, um, it's been a messy career change. Like if anyone thinks it was a, you know, uh, leave one thing, start the other, it's all clean. It, it hasn't been, it's been messy. It's been full of self doubt. It's been full of moments of financially wondering how we are making it all work um, because even though, yeah. all, you know, all the best advice, you know, and we did all the right things and whatever, but, you know, st- other stuff happens in your family and other things happen, but um, but it kind of makes the other stuff then a bit more rewarding. So, you know, I don't think, I don't think career change is easy or quick um, or tidy and, you know. No. I think that that's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant because there's a couple of points here that I see in my work that where we are called into doing things that we don't feel are aligned with our values can mean the difference between money coming in uh, and, and, you know, being able to keep the roof over your head and potentially being happy within yourself, content within yourself, pleased with yourself, but not having a roof over your head. Um, and, and that is almost the fundamental tension where we feel that we do need to kind of shortchange ourselves and live outside of integrity. Um, And by living outside of integrity, I mean living not in a way that aligns with our core values. That is really hard, particularly if you don't know what your core values are. And for me, having gone through, you know, my midlife crisis, getting help, one of the things that I really know now without any doubt at all is what is important to me. And I have my values. And if I find myself at a crossroads, again, using my hands as an X here, uh, I, I find myself going, uh, you know, and I've got them written down and I hold myself to them every day when I journal. And I go, okay, I don't really know the answer here. This is scary that I don't know the answer, but I'm going to, I have to take a step, but I'm going to take a step that I know that is in line with my core values. And I really do applaud how you had that realization in the consulting business that you were kind of being pulled back into your public servant self. And it would have been, I guess, kind of like riding a bike. Like, yeah, you could have done it, but it would have been, you know, a mighty uncomfortable ride because it was, you know, you know, being done in, in a way that, yeah, you could have done it standing on your head, but you wouldn't have been true to you. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of it, I think it is very much that. And I think, you know, and then and there were the moments of, you know, well, if I'm doing this, then why I, why aren't I back earning what I was earning and with the security of the job that I've got? Like, you know, and it was, and I've been through this again um, in leaving the, the job that I'd been doing that started off as the, you know, casual 
work for a winemaker and um, just have a little bit of security while we work out what we do next that then became a three and a half year very stressful job and it was interesting to you know and often it's seeing people and it's things that others you know for me a lot of the time it's been things that others have picked up that I might not necessarily and and it, sometimes it's just a, a passing comment and they may not even realize um, but I saw somebody who I hadn't seen for a little while and I was telling her and she said you came here to have the lifestyle and to enjoy what you were doing and to be able to make more of the days and the hours outside of work and it sounds like you're back exactly where you were before and so that was you know I guess that's been you know there's probably another crossroads there in terms of the, the job that I've recently yeah. left and and again I guess the it's it's a bit like the more times you do these things and you make these changes it kind of becomes a bit easier because you have something to base your experience on and that was why that first crossroads of of leaving the diplomatic service was so hard because I didn't have anything to base it on that was my whole adult working career whereas now I've got some experience to say I know and I trust myself that I can make a decision to make you know and I know it will work and I know what I need to do to make it work um yeah but you know I think you, you touched on something and I it you know, it has been, I think, think, you know, we for most of us in the diplomatic service, it's a, it's a pretty privileged and, and fortunate life. But, you know, for me, I realised that, you know, I was, uh, you know, yes, I was paid very well while we are in Hanoi, but I spent most of that money on buying, you know, nice clothes and stuff because I'd go shopping on the weekend to make up for the awful week that I'd had because I'd been so stressed. And... It's yeah, sort of, yep, yep. you know, and, and, or we'd, you know, we'd, we'd go on another trip and yes, as fantastic. And, you know, I'm still, I would love to be able to be in a position to travel more, but I was traveling to get away with what I was, you know, sort of work for weeks, travel for, you know, work six weeks, travel for one kind of thing. And that to me wasn't sustainable either. So, you know, I get, you know, we've, we have made some sacrifices by making this decision, but again, it comes to weighing up and it comes back to, to values and, and even to just how you actually want to feel and realizing that we spend a lot of time at work and yep. you can't, you know, it shouldn't, you know, it's not necessarily fun time party all the time, but you have to be enjoying it or growing from it or, or, or seeing some sort of result because otherwise you're giving up a lot and the weeks travel every six or eight weeks or three months or whatever it is isn't really like it shouldn't you know do you really only want to re- I guess it's do, do you want to live one week out of eight or ten or twelve and I think that's where when I sit down and think about it that's that's where we were at and that's the decision people like in terms of yes there were some values questions but it was also just being you know it's about being connected to myself and saying if I'm only alive and happy for that one week we're away and I'll go back to work for eight or ten or twelve weeks to build up the leave and build up the funds to go on the next escape from work then I don't think that's necessarily like it's great to be able to travel but 
that's if that's if it's where if you're only doing it you know that's where my mindset was at so that's where for me those experiences and reminding myself how that felt I'm not saying I have to be happy like I don't I don't jump out of bed to do my job every day, mm, mm, mm. but I am mm. in control of what I'm doing and I'm not desperately going, I just have to get through this next week and then I can escape from it. You know, yep. for me, this, that's, you know, it's about value and point. it's about life is long and we're living longer. And I think that's probably where this shift is happening with our generation is we will live for a long time and we will work for a very, we will work for longer than our, you know, our families did and so you've got to be happy while you're at work and all of the trimmings that come with being a diplomat at some point might not be enough to make you know if you if there's the other golden, things you want to do and handcuffs. I guess that's it it's not saying that and I guess that's the message I wanted to get across today was I loved the job that I had and I don't I don't doubt anyone or criticise anyone or say that anyone's made a bad decision by deciding to stay with that. And I've got friends who will be career diplomats and have had fabulous lives because they've been able to make it work for them and they've been able to yeah. yep. grow yep. and learn and, uh, and find fulfilment in that role as they've progressed. But for me, yeah. I changed, the organisation changed and suddenly that, that wasn't there Maybe it would have been, but I've also, you know, I decided to take a chance on what if, and so far it seems to be working. So It does. It does. And this has been an awesome talk. I think what you have done and that you are living more in alignment with what you know in your circumstances to be true for you and that you have used your your skills, your experience, not only in diplomacy, but also outside of, you know, heaven forbid, the life before being a <laughs> diplomat, you know, at, at university, but also post-diplomacy, that w- has all come to serve you. All this happened for you to be exactly where you are now. It is not for anyone else to comment if, buts, or maybes, um, because that's not helpful. What I do admire you for is that you are leading your life. And having known you for a very long time now, uh, it I do find that tremendously inspiring and it was for that reason that I was really excited that you said yes to writing this blog post and for coming on this podcast uh, episode today thank you so much for joining Uh, us look Phil thank you and as I said you know for me it was a crossroads it was starting a new business at the same time and it was a really valuable experience while I was having those doubts as I mentioned when you're starting something Mm. and thinking the consulting didn't work. Who's to say copywriting will? Am I a fraud again? As this, you know, the imposter syndrome. And to sit back and actually look at the last five years and look at the fact that, you know, the good things happened when I made some really tough decisions and really scary yeah. decisions. And it was, you know, it came at such a good time to sit down and write that as I, you know, it was a bit of self-confidence to say, I've done this and I'll do it again. And so that's why, you know, I'm 
I'm starting all over again at, at 45 in another career change that it turns out yep. that I've actually spent the last 20 years of my life writing and and actually can write really well but just didn't know it. So it's it's been a bit of a windy road. There's been lots of crossroads and forks in roads but it's, <laughs> it's still been, you know, I, I honestly can't say there's anything that I would look back at and say, well, that was a waste of time or I didn't learn anything. And I think it comes back to having an open mind and being positive, but also trying to look for the value in things and look for the, the lessons learned in things. And so not looking at things as failures, but, um, and again, as I said, I think for, for diplomats, the idea of failure is a really hard one to get comfortable with and to sit with yeah, because for us often failure, absolutely. and I remember my early careers, you know, failures were when cars didn't turn up for ministers and they you got sent home from posting. Um, <laughs> Realising now that failures are not necessarily that drastic and yes, um, that you can, if you can take the attitude of learning from it and get you know, get some coaching, work with people, make networks, make connections. And I think that's, it is one of those things that it can be hard to do because it is hard to say to people, I'm thinking of doing something different and finding it is what, what it is you're actually yep. good at. But I think it's it's not necessarily necessarily about skills. A lot of the time, it's as, as Phil said, it's, it's so much about your values and, and what's important to you, but also looking at how you actually want to work and where you want to work. So, you know, if, that, if that's useful, um, and I hope it is, it's, it, but it, as I said, it's been a real pleasure to just to share that and to feel that what I, the experience I had is actually useful for people because honestly, you know, as I said, when I, when I considered what I was doing and while lots of my, while I knew lots of other people leaving at the same time, they were perhaps going into more traditional transition roles, um, traditional life after diplomacy roles. So um, it, it's 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 good to share. And I applaud the bravery in in the sharing. <laughs> so thank you so much. And uh, until next time. Thanks. Wasn't that a fantastic chat? I got so much out of that, and I could have kept talking with Ange, and indeed we did. We spoke for about another half an hour after the chat finished, but I have a feeling that we'll be coming back to the topic of leaving diplomacy time and again into the future, because I know that it has resonated with so many readers, and I know that this will resonate with so many listeners. There's two things that I want to add he at this point one is to Ange directly thank you so very much for being so brave and so willing to share your story we as humans connect to stories and we can see ourselves and our experience in the stories that others share with us but it takes great bravery to share that with the world thank you Ange I honor that and I hope you hear this because you have said a couple of times that you won't be listening to the podcast episode. The other point that I want to make is directly to you, the listener, who might be thinking of a career change. The advice that I give and that Ange and I talk about is about knowing your values 
is much easier given than it is to do. Never forget that, that I understand that because knowing your values requires a great deal of introspection and thought. And if you haven't yet had capacity to do that, or indeed you don't know how to do that, it can be nothing but frustrating to get that advice. Just know your values. That's kind of useless advice if you don't know how to start. It's critical though that you do because It is hard, but if you do know your values, you can't make a wrong choice. But it's really difficult to find out your values and work through the process of determining your values and identifying your values alone. So feel free to reach out to me. Feel free to also reach out to a coach to help you with that process of identifying your values. Again, you're not alone. That brings us to the end of this episode. So if you do have a question or feedback for me, please send an email to admin at thelonelydiplomat.com. If you like my work, please rate it on the service through which you're now listening. If you also like my work, please tell a friend. There's no greater advertising than word of mouth. If you feel that I could improve the quality of my work or the content of my work, please tell me. Again, if you found value in this episode, please show me some love via your financial support and go to thelonelydiplomat.com forward slash support for some more information. That does sound like you're getting ready to leave. So until next time, be awesomely, humanly you because the world needs more you. All views expressed in this episode are my own, and all sounds are freeware in the public domain. Thanks for listening.